From the Rocky Top Insider Studios, it's the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler, Ryan Shumpert, and Jack Foster. All right, and welcome to another edition of the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. Today is Wednesday, April 26th. We are just over 24 hours away from the 2023 NFL Draft. We have a whole week of basketball roster movement behind us. Man, it's good to be back in studio with you guys, with the people out there listening over as we get into a little Tennessee football, Tennessee basketball, Tennessee sports conversation here on a little bit of a rainy and overcast Wednesday afternoon. My name is Rick Butler. Joined to my right, that is the one, the only, Ryan Shumpert. And across the table, that is Jack Foster, my good friend, your good friend, Good afternoon, everybody. How's the week been? How's everyone doing around the table? Doing well. Doing well. I don't have any uh, witty observation or, or any observations of any kind, honestly, to throw at you. So I'll throw it to Jack, but I'm doing well. Okay, good. Good, good, good. Yeah, it's a good Wednesday. Um, had Tennessee baseball last night, so a little bit of a later night, a little bit of a longer game, but it's been a good day so far, and ready to talk some draft stuff. I texted Jack, and, and I actually meant to text both of you, but it ended up just going to Jack anyways, but... Uh, I ended up texting Jack in the sixth inning, and I go, run rule in effect? And I think by that point, the score is like 12-0. to And he goes, no. No. <laughs> no, my friend, it is not in effect tonight. And I said, that's a late night coming up at Lindsey Nelson. Because, of course, Tennessee had the, the big rotation of pitchers, if you will, right? As always, yeah. Johnny Holstaff. Nine, nine different pitchers last night. Yeah. A perfect game through six and a third. That was pretty darn impressive. I, I mean, know. I, I know you can take your opponent into consideration, all that kind of stuff, but whenever you can deal with a, a perfect game through that much of a uh, of a contest of an outing, not too bad. Especially, com- is it more impressive a combined no hitter or, or a solo no hitter? Definitely a solo no hitter. Yeah. But this was all. Also but this a was a perfect game. game. Yeah. Okay, perfect like, game. I guess that's what combined I meant, no but. hitters to me have lost their luster. Like you just see them a lot now in baseball and especially just because the way the game's moving where it's more bullpen heavy and you're just trying to get your starter two times through the rotation yeah. and all that. But I don't care how you do it. You can throw 25 pitchers. If you combine to throw a perfect game, that is incredibly, incredibly impressive. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Obviously, it's it's so hard to argue the solo, right? If you can do that, just mono against the other team, right? Just one against everybody else, and you can go for those nine innings, and you can do everything like that. Like, that is so miraculous. But I do think that there is something to being like, hey, these six guys came together, and they were each perfect in their own right. Yes, they only went an inning or two, but they each came together. Not one of them could mess up or else it would mess up the whole, you know, kind of your your the chain is only as strong as the weakest link thing. So yeah. I do think that there's something really impressive to uh, – the combined as well, but two of the pitchers that that were involved in that were Xander Seacrest and Kirby Knell, who uh, came out with a little bit of a, of a what's the word I want to use here? Unconventional press unconventional press conference, conference after the game. It was, uh, and we put up a great article about it on Rocket Up Insider. It's over on Rocket Up Insider YouTube. But uh, a little bit of an unconventional uh, press conference. Okay, <laughs> a weird press conference. Can I just say it? Like there were some. Those guys were, were acting yeah. weird. The the people were at everyone's acting a little bit weird. Well, <laughs> it was a little kinda, bit funky. I think you kinda knew it going in. Like they knew that this was just gonna be, you know, not necessarily more for fun purposes, but it wasn't gonna be your stereotypical yeah. presser. And the media knew that, so it was just yeah. kind of a good little dynamic there. A couple of serious questions, but mostly just figuring out their activities on the road and oddening and things like that. Yeah, nineteen and one, nineteen one game against Bellarmine. There's not a whole lot to yeah. talk to a, a <laughs> oh, yeah. pitcher who pitched through for one inning. I think 
Kirby just pitched one face one batter, I think. So there wasn't a ton to talk to him about the game. So uh, Sean Barros, the baseball SID, was nice enough to let us do a little dual uh, press conference or, or media availability yeah. with two of the better personalities on the team. So if you could like to go and hear about, the, I guess, Tennessee baseball's batting practice, uh, television shows, their their shenanigans on the road, a DoorDash activity, anything like that, uh, go over and check out Rocky Depp and Center on YouTube. Uh, but otherwise, it, that's pretty much everything that's been going on this week. And then what's uh, what's it look like for On the Diamond this weekend? Yeah, Miss State coming to Knoxville Thursday through Saturday series. That begins tomorrow. There you go. There you go. And, of course, you guys have been talking a lot about baseball over on the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Baseball Edition podcast, which you can find just on the regular Rocky Top Insider feed. If you're listening to this right now, I'm sure you've already seen the show in your feed. Make sure to go check the, check that one out. Yesterday's episode's episode was called, Is Tennessee Baseball Back? That's the question that Ryan and Jack pondered yesterday as they continue to talk about Tennessee's sweep over Vanderbilt. But, guys, when I think about where Tennessee athletics is right now, we're getting to the point in the year where things are just kind of wrapping up, right? The, the door is starting to shut on some of these sports. Spring football is now in the rearview mirror. Spring basketball is in the rearview mirror. Uh, baseball starting to kind of wind down with the regular season here. But one of the kind of the final stops on this road of the season is the NFL draft. And that is coming up tomorrow. We've been talking a lot about the NFL draft coming up, or excuse me, in the last couple of weeks. We've been giving some information here and there, some tidbits here and there. But now today we finally get to talk about it. We finally get to give our, our big predictions out for tomorrow's draft. We're going to be talking about Hendon Hooker, Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman, Darnell Wright, whoever else might have uh, landed in a mock draft along the last week or so. We're going to be talking about all that. And then coming up on the second half of the show, man, we want to get into some more Tennessee basketball roster movement. Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong here, but before we left last week's show, Tennessee only had Jordan Ganey, is that correct? Yes, Jordan Ganey and Santiago Vescovi had made the announcement that he was returning. So you had those two pieces of news, I think, Chris Ludlam might have committed by the time that the podcast was yeah. out. On, <laughs> it was later in the afternoon yes, after it was. we recorded. And then Dalton Connect in Northern Colorado transferred and landed some NBA uh, draft declarations as well. So plenty to get to on that front. Plenty to get to on the Tennessee basketball side of things. We will keep you updated with where things currently stand, just, again, with the volunteer basketball team. But first, man, let's talk about a little NFL draft, shall we? Now, I'm not the biggest NFL draft guru myself. Jack, you kind of, like, this is this is something that you love, right? You look forward to throughout the year for yeah. the NFL draft. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, like, you know, I'm not sitting there making notes on players and evaluating talent. Sure, you don't have a seven-round mock yeah, or anything. Exactly. That's okay. <laughs> seven-round mock. But I am an NFL junkie at heart, and yeah. I do love keeping up with it, yes. Well, I think when when you look at just kind of Tennessee's uh, positioning, if you will, for the next couple of days, and obviously the draft starting on Thursday night from Kansas City, to me there's kind of five guys who are lined up to be pretty much definite locks to, to be drafted at some point in those seven rounds. Then I think you can add in a couple of players that are right there on the fringe. Maybe they'll get picked at, at the very end. And then I think you got a couple that are just straight hopefuls, right? I, I don't think you've got a lot of optimism to them, but they're hoping to get in right there. To me, the locks... Darnell Wright seems like he, he is certainly going to be a lock for the top 20 or so. Hendon Hooker, Cedric Tillman, Jalen Hyatt, and Byron Young. Would you guys kind of are, – are we all in agreement around yeah, there? Yeah, those are the top five. Definitely. I think the big question right now is Hendon Hooker. Right? Oh, yeah. We can talk about we'll, – we'll talk about Darnell Wright and we'll talk about the receivers and all, but Hendon Hooker seems to be the uh, a lot of the conversation going on in these last couple of days leading up to the draft. And even on, on Wednesday morning or so, Hendon Hooker posts a video from the Tennessee Athletic indoor field 
working on his dropbacks, right? Showing how he is kind of completing that recovery as they get closer and closer to the draft and then spring camp whenever that happens for him. Uh, but pretty good timing, I would say. Just about 29 hours or so away yeah. from uh, the draft sure to be able to post that video. Huh? I'm sure it was very coincidental. Just happened to be the timing. But what do you guys think about that guy? Obviously, the conversation about uh, the fifth quarterback. Can he go in the top 10? Can he go in the top 15? What have you guys seen, and what are your thoughts on Hinton Hooker in the first round? I think it's kind of hard to project just because the whole quarterback class, it's just kind of after, it seems like Bryce Young's going to go number one. But at, behind that, it's just like chaos. There's no consensus on where anybody's going to go, it doesn't seem like. So I think it's kind of hard to project, but I'll say what I think I said maybe last week or two weeks ago. You know, typically in these quarterback-heavy classes, I think a lot of times franchises get quarterback happy. I mean, we see it at, at receiver a lot of years at different positions where once a they're going, people are racing to, to get theirs, essentially. So yeah. I think Hooker will go in, in the first round. I would stop short of saying expect. I don't know enough to say expect, but uh, I think with the way things are trending, really for the whole quarterback class, uh, that Hooker is it will go in the first round. To me, the curiosity, especially with really any quarterback, it's just where do they land mm-hmm. and how do we think they fit there going forward. I think if only one quarterback gets taken in the top, six or seven picks, and that's obviously Bryce Young. I could see him and Hooker slipping out of the first round. Sure. But, obviously, if Bryce Young goes one, and then maybe Anthony Richardson goes five to see Seattle, and Stroud's up there too, Levis, and maybe the Raiders are somewhere in that seven to 15 range, Hooker's a lot to get in the first round. That's how I see it. If yeah. there's a run, he'll go. And he may even go above Richardson or Levis. It's a total toss-up with those two, in my opinion, just as much as it is Hooker. So, I think he goes in the first round more times than not. That's where I would predict somewhere in that teens range but you know if, if a team sold on him we could see him in the top 10 yeah i think that's kind of the thing that, I, that i'm looking at here too is that you know I, I think that you can put him realistically in the back half of the first round and say just kind of give or take from there and we'll read off some of these mock drafts here in a second but i think you can pretty much put him right there but then you get to the intangibles of well how does a franchise view him right if a franchise is looking at him and they're saying Hey, yeah, we see this guy as our franchise quarterback, right? As the guy who's going to lead us over the next couple of years, whether he can start right away or not, then yeah, I, I do think that you get a position where they jump up. So kind of like what Ryan said, man, there's just so many variables right now that, yep. that it's so and, hard and to tell. Trades. Like, and trades. Yeah. You know there's bound to be a handful of first-round trades. Because you have your teams, right, that, that we know needs a quarterback desperately. Yeah. The Carolina Panthers desperately need their quarterback. But then you have another tier of teams who are kind of they could get it. They don't need them right now, but they could get it, and that could be a very advantageous position. I think of the Titans right there. I think of the Vikings right there. I think of the Raiders right there. Uh, I think there's a lot. I think of the there Saints. The Saints right there. Detroit. There's a lot of teams right that are kind of on. Yeah, we have a guy right now, but is he our guy? Is he the guy moving forward? No, I think some of these teams are just kind of waiting for their current situation to resolve itself. Placeholder QBs, yeah. Exactly. And so that's Seattle. why I think there's so many teams Tampa. that have yeah, an interest. They're everywhere. It's, yeah, it, it's way everywhere. more this year than I can ever remember. That's why I think there's, like, again, just to circle back around to the beginning thought, there's just so much unpredictability with the draft. And you know that there's going to be teams and programs that like Hooker. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But who is going to want to make that jump, especially if what you guys are saying is correct, and the quarterbacks do go on a run in the first five to ten picks or so? Yeah, exactly. It's to me that is going to. I think there is going to be that run. I would just be surprised if there's not. There's just so many teams at the top that I think that 
maybe not desperate for a quarterback. Like, Indy's a good – they're not desperate for a quarterback. They could start Gardner Minshew for a year and let someone sit behind them. Right. But I think – yeah. They I need think, somebody. If the Texans go the Will Anderson route, which I totally respect, I think it's a, a great call. I, if I'm the Texans, I actually do, like, to me. But if the Colts pass on Stroud, they're done. Like, Colts yes. can take Stroud if that happens. And then I just don't see a world where at least two quarterbacks don't go in the top four. Yeah. And agreed. to me, that will be enough to start a snowball effect. Yep. Agreed. When you look at the mock drafts, you see ESPN at number 23 to the Vikings, NFL's Charles Davis, VFL, number 16 to the Washington Commanders, NFL's Chad Rudder, number 30 to the Raiders, Pro Football Focus, number 61 to the Raiders, and then CBS Sports is Chris Trapasso, number 37 to the Seattle Seahawks. So even right there, right, you can see just from number 16 to 37, but then Ryan, we've both written about you know, mock drafts where he, he's projected to the Titans, right? He, yeah. He's projected to the Seahawks number five. So I, I do think those might be a little bit of outliers, and you probably are looking more at a realistic range from 16 to 37 or so. But either way, I, I think those are kind of some of your usual suspects that you'll start to see tomorrow as uh, as some of these names start to roll off the board. Yeah, I mean, here's, here's my thought about Hendon Hooker, if I'm just going to go ahead and give my take. If the Seahawks don't take AR at five, and there's no trades, and Hinden Hooker and Anthony Richardson goes between five and twenty to another team. Okay. I think Hinden Hooker is a it's a very likely possibility he goes to Seattle at twenty. But if Seattle takes Anthony Richardson, I think Hinden Hooker goes to twenty three to Minnesota. That's my take. Yeah, I can Pretty see logical. that. I can I can definitely see. It. I I do think that Minnesota is one of the biggest ones. Why don't we go over ahead and, and jump over to this real quick? Uh, so we, we threw up a couple of polls on the Rocky Top Insider social media accounts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram just to kind of get a pulse of the people. And sure enough, we asked the people, who do you think Hendon Hooker will end up with? Obviously, with being in a Tennessee-centric area, I think a lot of people might have taken the direction of who do you, where do you want Hendon Hooker to end up with? And so there were a lot of Tennessee Titans picks from that. But here's how we kind of set up the poll. The first three options were the Titans, the Vikings, and the Raiders. Uh, according to the odds makers, those are the three most likely for Hendon Hooker to land at. And then we put others. So for the Facebook poll, the Titans ran away with the numbers. 50%, <laughs> the Vikings at 14, Raiders 6, Saints 6, Buccaneers 3, Commanders 2, and then the Broncos, Seahawks, Colts, and Texans each got 1% of the vote. And frankly, that was a little bit of a theme if you just go down the, the different voting measures. Uh, if you look at Instagram, the Titans had 55% of the voting. If you look at Twitter, the Titans had 44% of the voting. So obviously there is going to be a lot of kind of hometown cooking and a little exactly. bit of bias, right? And a lot of people wanting to see Hinton Hooker go there. But I think you're going to have that be a, a certainly a strong pull from uh, the local crowd here tomorrow night. Yeah. that. Now, whether it happens or not, it's to be expected. Yeah. Yeah. It I is mean, to be expected. After what Hinton Hooker did for Tennessee, of course, a lot of Vols fans are a lot of Titans fans. So they're going to want Hendo Cinco in a Titans uniform. But. You know, I I just I don't see it happening, and you know I I mean I could see a scenario where it could, but I just think that the Titans are not even in the top five of teams I would predict Hooker to land. That's just me. Yeah, they'd probably be around five. Are 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 the Titans going to take a quarter? I mean, well, if Stroud's there, they will. They should. They should if Stroud's there. I I don't. I'm not going to pretend to know what the Titans are going to do. I, I don't <laughs> they could trade for Trey Lance. They might trade for Trey Lance. I have no idea what the Titans will do. Nothing will surprise me. Wow, that's a big trade one. up, trade down, trade Derrick Henry to the Eagles, trade Derrick Henry to the Eagles. I will say on that note, I've already made my peace with Derrick Henry getting traded. Like that feels like that's probably going to happen at some point. 
How, how I just don't want it to be the Eagles, so I don't want him and AJ Brown to be on the same team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's just too much. You don't want Howie. That's, too much, that's just too much for me. I don't either. I will wish Derrick Henry the best wherever he goes, but him on the Eagles would just be too too much for me to handle. Can you give a 30-second like recap of your emotions when AJ Brown got traded last year? Okay, yeah. So I was I actually had just gotten off the phone with my dad. I had like a long talk with him watching the draft. I think I was folding some laundry in my room. When did this? Was this on draft night? On draft night, yeah. Round, yeah. And so I had to draft on, but I was like folding stuff on my bed, looking away from the TV, and I just hear like mega dra- mega <laughs> trade. But I don't remember if it said Titans or what. I turned and obviously saw it quickly, and more shocked than anything. Uh, yeah, I'd say more more shocked than anything at the time. That that turned into rage quickly, though. I don't think it necessarily turned into rage. Because it, I mean, I wasn't happy about it, but gotcha. I don't think it necessarily turned into It was rage. frustration. Yeah. yeah, frustration. It would definitely turn more, into frustration. More curiousness of, like, what are the Titans trying to do here? And the rest of the moves they have made over the past year don't really match up with that with yeah. that trade. It kind of felt like glass-half-empty curiousness. Where, like, you weren't necessarily yeah, I mean, you I were wasn't, curious, but it wasn't really, like, an optimistic kind no, of curious. No, it definitely like, wasn't. Where like, well, I don't know what this is going to look like, but we might as well just find out and see. Well, you got Traylon Burks. Yeah, I mean that was that seemed pretty like obvious, and I I think that was one of my first things is I liked Traylon Burks. I just felt really bad for him because it was like, <laughs> boom, they trade AJ Brown, they draft Traylon Burks, draft comp on ESPN. Who is Traylon Burks? He's AJ Brown. Like how you cannot put this on this guy? <laughs> like immediately you're gonna put this on this dude. So hey. upset with the Titans, curious as to what they were doing, feeling bad for Traylon Burks for the yeah. situation he was walking into. Speaking of wide receivers real quick, is it crazy to think, and I know they're going to be drafted to different spots, but is it crazy to think that Cedric Tillman could potentially have a, a better career than Jalen Hyatt? Where, where do we kind of stand on Tennessee's two receivers uh, that are heading into the draft? I think Cedric Tillman has significantly higher ceiling in the NFL than Jalen Hyatt does. I would take okay. Tillman you know over. Yeah, I would too. I think, I think Tillman can become a really complete receiver. He's now it's the crazy that we're all saying that. But he has a ton of great attributes that will match the NFL game. I think Hyatt's just going to be what he is, and he's just going to be a burner. I don't think he has great hands. I don't know how good of a route runner he is, but he can definitely find a role and succeed in that role. He can be a receiver that yeah. gets close to 1,000 yards a year with the right quarterback, with the right system. One, yeah. of, the, one of the scouting reports that I, that I saw on Hyatt just today was saying that, hey, he's kind of a one-trick pony, and sure, that can be good, but he's not even the best receiver on his team. And I found that to be very fascinating yeah. because, again, that that's just a question that I've kind of pondered as well in my head. Yeah, I, I think – uh, the thing with Hyatt is, is, and Jack, you were just getting at it. Like, he needs to land at uh, a select group of teams. The Chargers. The Chargers yeah. would be, oh, that'd be a fantastic one. I hadn't even thought about that. That would probably be as good as anywhere. And, and there are spots where he could land. I can see him being really successful. But there are just spots where I'm like, the Titans, for instance. Like, Jalen Hyatt's not going to just not going to do well in the Titans. And that's not all his fault. That's a lot of it, the circumstances. Uh, whereas Tillman's the guy that, to me, it's like wherever he goes, like he'll he'll be fine. Yeah, yep. as long, as he'll long be agreed. As long as he stays healthy and just continues to grow, I think Cedric Tillman will be a really good NFL receiver. Yeah. When you look at the mock drafts for Hyatt, you have number thirty-five to the Colts, number twenty-five to the Giants, number fifty-seven to the Giants, and the number twenty-six to the Cowboys. The Giants seem to be a, a very common theme, just considering that they don't have really any wide receiver depth right now. But yeah. to to what you guys were saying there, though, I don't know if that if I would feel confident that being the best place for him. Because he kind of would be thrust into that number one receiver role, and and am I positive that right now with his with his skill set with the tools that he has, 
Jalen Hyatt can be the number one receiver for the New York Giants, I wouldn't be too confident that, again, I'm, I'm not saying that Cedric Tillman would step in and be that immediately right there, but I think Cedric Tillman at least gives you a little bit more versatility in being a number one wide receiver. Where if you look at somewhere like the, the Cowboys, well, they have C.D. Lamb, who, who is a very good number one target already. you got a guy like Michael Gallup, who, who wasn't always there, but then maybe you can use Hyatt in a little bit more of a specialty role, it, even though you might not want to use your first-round draft pick as a specialty role, but maybe if you get him in the second. But I, I do think that there's a very fascinating conversation to be had between these two guys. Yeah, Cedric Tillman has more capability to become an alpha, right? Sure. And that's what yeah. you want at your number one receiver in alpha. I don't, I don't see Jalen Hyatt becoming that, but... He can be worth a first-round pick if he's just going to burn past defenses, you know. Yeah. There's a place for Jalen Hyde's game, certainly, in the NFL. It's just, like Ryan said, it's got to be the right place. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And it just feels like the questions with him, even, like, past just, like, the Tennessee's offense questions. Like, where where does he play? I mean, he played in the slot at Tennessee. I don't see how he's going to be a slot NFL receiver with his skill set. He's going to have to play – Outside and obviously he did some of that at Tennessee too, so it won't be the biggest adjustment in the world. But it's just a lot of questions about Hyatt. It doesn't mean he can't answer them well and have a really good career. It's just to me feels like less of a sure thing. When you look at offensive lineman Darnell Wright, there's a couple of teams that it seems like might be kind of zoning in on him. Potentially the Commanders right there at 16. Seems like Washington definitely loves them. Report saying that they that Darnell Wright is their second tackle on the board behind Paris Johnson from Ohio State, uh, and then the Bears also seem to have definite interest in Darnell Wright. I believe they have the number nine pick in the draft, and then the Steelers at seventeen, and the Patriots around fourteen or so. To me, those kind of be the 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 four teams or so that seem to be gravitating towards Darnell Wright the most. Seems like he's definitely going to be in the top twenty. Byron Young is an interesting one that that I think could be a, a man who's really been rising into a, potentially a third round draft pick. Uh, coming up just with the work that he's been able to do the last couple months. I do think that it goes back to playing that Orange Bowl game. I think that was extremely productive. That got his offseason on the right note leading into the Senior Bowl, leading into the Combine, leading into Pro Day, just everything that he's been able to do. You know, there was actually a mock draft today from ESPN's Matt Miller that has him going in the third round to the Tennessee Titans. The Chicago Bears potentially an option, the Arizona Cardinals an option, but it seems like he is definitely one of those names that um, Dallas Cowboys, apparently this is a guy that they covet. seems like he's been one of these names that has been rising, potentially even rising enough to get to maybe the third round or so. Yeah, definitely. And you talk about, or I was just talking about with Hyatt, a guy that it feels like there's questions with or the floor and the ceiling have big Big gaps, and that's what it is with Byron Young. I mean, his ceiling to me is extremely, extremely high. You talk about how little football he's really played yeah. at a high level and his athletic capabilities, but at the same time, just going based off of solely what he did at Tennessee, uh, to me, he would be more of a, a later-round guy, just if you're looking purely off production. Um, so, it, to me, he he's going to be as fascinating. I'd probably say Hooker is the guy I'll be most curious mm-hmm. uh, or intrigued to see. Uh, how his career goes, just because I can see it going in a lot of different directions, and that's the case for most quarterbacks to go sure. uh, out of college into the draft. I would say Young's probably number two because uh, I just have a wide range of, in my opinion, the possibilities of how he performs. Yeah, with as good of a like draft process as Young has had, I mean, you could argue he's had the best of any Tennessee player up to this point. He's yeah. done a uh, lot you, more you than probably anybody, could, yeah. and he's been nearly flawless in everything he's done. So I think he's actually going to end up being a third-round pick. And I I believe his ceiling is pretty high. And, you know, as Ryan said, he hasn't played a ton of football, but the football he has played has looked really good on the field. And he's got a good story. Seems like he's got a really good work ethic, doing really well in the interviews. So I feel like he'll be a day-two pick. 
NFL.com has Byron Young going number 64 to the Bears. CBS Sports has Byron Young going number 136 to the Bears. So, so. It, it is a it is a doubled range, right, that you could be talking about here. So just uh, something to keep in consideration as well. And then the only two guys that I saw make a seven-round mock draft this week at some point, two guys from Tennessee, safety Trayvon Flowers comes in at number 255 to the San Francisco 49ers right there at the very end of the seventh round. And then a little bit earlier than him, according to NFL.com, uh, Chad Rutter has tight end Princeton Fant going at number 231 to the Las Vegas Raiders. So those could potentially be some guys that sneak in. Maybe a Jerome Carvin, maybe a Jeremy Banks, although I'm not as optimistic about those two guys right there. But I think that's kind of the the tier that you're looking at for, okay, who could maybe sneak in at the end? I think those are kind of the four guys that you're potentially looking at. Yeah, I have a hard time really, you know, trying to predict who will get drafted. I, I think Jeremy Banks would be fourth on my list. I, I To me, I don't know why Jerome Carvin won't get drafted. I mean, I guess I can see some of but he's so versatile, man, and it just feels like he's been so consistent. Maybe but, maybe he's a player, too, that, like, the media knows less about because true. he just isn't talked about. But when the, when the scouts and when the coaching staff gets to talk to him in a one-on-one scenario like he talked about during pro day maybe that's when he's really been able to be like hey yes i i can use a bunch of different abilities to play multiple spots in the offensive line i can be very versatile i did do a lot of things at tennessee so who knows maybe you're right maybe maybe mm-hmm. he does sneak into the to the late rounds and that's because of a good relationship with different co- uh, coaches and scouts that he's come up with along the way but it is a fascinating name for sure and then for trayvon flowers i mean there's obviously going to be a db needy team that could take him in the sixth seventh round i mean we saw theo jackson get taken last year and we didn't think that was going to happen at least i did that is true going into the draft so anything can happen and then princeton fant that's more of like i think if a team drafts him they just have a certain vision yeah that's a good word Princeton fans the classic draft saying of it just takes one it just takes one team to fall (laughs) in love because he does have such a unique skill set it's not it's not hard to see one team taking a flyer on him in, in the late round. Any other kind of bold predictions for Thursday night's first round? Maybe Friday's second and third rounds. Maybe Saturday's the rest after that. Any other kind of bold predictions for for Tennessee guys in the uh, in the draft? And then if you have any other kind of draft thoughts as well, why not? Yeah, not really a bold prediction, but you know, wouldn't it be funny that if none of those guys we just talked about got drafted and. <laughs> Tennessee only had five guys get drafted, and it's like they had more guys get drafted last year than they did this year. Yeah, that's I thought that about would that be remarkable. Are, I mean, obviously that would be surprising if none of those guys right, got drafted, but it's up. not impossible either. It's not out, no. out of realm of possibility. Uh, so that would be funny, but I'm or interesting, I guess, more than funny. Uh, but I think the thing that where you see the difference in last year and this year is Tennessee had no had so few guys go until the later rounds, whereas all five of those guys, you know, I I think they'll, yeah. if I had to predict right now, I guess talking bold predictions, I don't know if there's a bold prediction or not, but I, I would predict all five of those guys to go in the top three rounds. Okay, so you are predicting Byron Young to be a day one or two, or a day two pick. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm not saying, I can see him falling, but. I see what you're saying, though, because you're right. Taylor was two, Valus uh, was three, Matthew Butler was five, and then you have Mayes uh, May and Jackson who were in the sixth round, so. Yeah, I mean, just they okay, were. So I that. guess ju- it would be just so just five. Many. But yeah, I was thinking there was a six. What you're saying still absolutely rings true, and you're right again. You know, all of those came in the three out of the five came in the fifth round or later. So I definitely think that Tennessee is going to be a little bit more top heavy this year. So interesting if Hendon Hooker, Darnell Wright, and Jalen Hyatt all go in the first round, which is possible. Um, that'll be the first time Tennessee's had three first round draft picks since 02. Yeah, I believe if I'm correct. Yep. 
Well, so they got a chance to make some noise there. They've yeah. done they've done two first rounders a bunch. Uh, I wrote all of those, but yeah, in 2002 they had Big John Henderson, who by the way just got inducted to the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, he went uh, one nine. Dante Stallworth went one thirteen to the Saints, and then Albert Hainsworth uh, went one fifteen to Tennessee. So that was the 2002 draft. Interesting. Yeah, and Darnell Wright, um, from like a standpoint of highest vol since. Uh, Jawan James went number 19 in the 2014 NFL Draft. Derek Barnett went 14 in the 2017 NFL Draft. And Eric Berry went 5th in the 2010 NFL Draft. So that's so the, he would have to go higher than 14 to be the to be the highest drafted Tennessee player since Derek Barnett so in 17. Since Eric Berry in 2010, if he goes higher than 14. Oh, okay, okay. I see what yeah, because Berry yeah. was 5th. Barry was fifth, Barnett was 14. So if he goes somewhere between 15 and 18, he would be the highest pick since Barnett. If he went after 19, he'd be the highest pick since Jawan James. Okay, 14. I see what you're saying. Yep, yep, yep. Man, it should be fun. That will be tomorrow night. That'll be Thursday night. I'm not sure of the channel, but hey, Rocky Top Insider's not broadcasting it, so I don't really need to know it. And NFL NFL Network usually has it. Somebody owes somebody a Coke there. Uh, (laughs) That'll be coming up. We will have you totally covered. We will have that on RockyTompInsider.com. We will have that on Twitter. We will have it on Instagram. And we will have it on Facebook as the draft continues to go on throughout the weekend. That right there, though, that's a little bit of draft conversation. What do you say? We flipped the script a little bit. Ryan, there's been a lot of football conversation going on. We just did four straight weeks of spring ball. And, man, basketball was kind of weaved in the middle of that as well. But football still took up a, a big part of the brain, right, as it always is. In that time, though, I think some of these roster movements and, excuse me, some of these roster pieces that have been moving around maybe have gone a little bit under the radar just with all the people that have been so focused on football and basketball. Let's kind of go back and let's kind of talk about a little bit of a recap just of what the roster has looked like for Tennessee basketball really since the season ended uh, in New York City just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, really, you say since the season ended, it's really none of it happened until last Tuesday. Sure. And from (laughs) last Tuesday to... Last night, when the NBA released the 232 player college players that declared early for the NBA draft, basically everything, just about, there's a few, you know, dot some I's, cross some T's left, but Tennessee's roster is pretty much, we've got it figured out. Santiago Vescovi uh, announced he will return for a super senior season. Uh, that came on uh, just a few hours after USC Upstate shooting guard Jordan Ganey, the son of Tennessee associate head coach Justin Ganey, announced he would transfer to Tennessee. Uh, a day later, uh, last Wednesday, after we recorded, as we talked about earlier, Harvard forward Chris Ledlam uh, announced he would transfer to Tennessee over Indiana and St. John's. Right. And then on Friday, now I believe it was Thursday first, at a Big Orange Caravan stop in Nashville, Rick Barnes shared that Julian Phillips and Josiah Jordan-James are going through the NBA draft process while retaining their college eligibility. Then... Friday, Dalton Connect, the Northern Colorado transfer, uh, committed to Tennessee over Oregon. And then, as I just said, yesterday, the the NBA released the 232 college players that have uh, declared for the NBA draft. Phillips and Josiah Jordan-James on there, as was Euros Plasic, and Plasic being the really the one last guy. And uh, I guess the, um, that was a ton to keep up with, if you're listening to, to put a kind of summation on it. And when you look at the number standpoint, with the transfers Tennessee's brought in and Vescovy coming back, Tennessee not counting James, not counting Phillips, not counting Plosich, saying those, all those guys are gone. 
Tennessee is at 14 players on scholarship for next season. 13 is the limit. That's why I say maybe one of James Phillips or Plossage comes back. I have a hard time seeing that based off of that fact right there. Tennessee's right. already over uh, the scholarship limit. So but even if none get... of them come out back, Tennessee's going to have to create a, a scholarship. Yeah, they're, they're going to have to get creative. Right? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple possibilities. One, And you wrote about this. I did write about this, yeah, so check it out. Again, I'm sure this is hard to all follow listening to it all at once. <laughs> but uh, Jordan Ganey, Tennessee, when he committed last week, the plan, only thing I've heard is that he is going to be on scholarship. Now, if Tennessee wanted to create a roster spot and not have to cut anybody, they could have him be a walk-on. Um, but again, I have no reason to believe that's going to happen. Right. I've heard the opposite from Tennessee. Uh, other possibilities... Uh, potentially one of the three incoming recruits. That would be Cade Phillips, Cameron Carr, and J.P. Estrella. Probably would be Phillips or Carr. Maybe they push one of those guys to do a prep year some, somewhere and, and push them off. Again, I have a hard time thinking that's going to happen. You see that happen in college basketball some, but that ha- to my memory and understanding, that has not happened at Tennessee since Rick Barnes has yes. been here. So I would be surprised. The most likely, in my opinion, uh, is someone is going to get told to transfer. Who that will be, I don't know. Obviously, the candidates are pretty obvious if you just look at who played and who didn't last season in the roles of some players. So uh, you can you know figure out who you think is most likely. I don't know who it would be, but to me, that's of the kind of three possibilities. That seems like the most likely. Yeah, I think you're right. I think when you when you spell it out like that. By the way, phenomenal job. <laughs> that was a that was a heck of a lot of information right there to to get across to the people. But I think you did a really good job. And you're right when you look at those three options. It doesn't seem like Ganey is going to become a walk-on. It doesn't seem like, uh, what was the middle uh, option again? Uh, push uh, one of the signings that's to right. do a prep year somewhere. That's somewhere. right. And like you mentioned, right, even if that is a, a, a little bit of a common thing, maybe not common, but it, it is a thing that happens not in college basketball. Yeah. It's not necessarily a thing that happens under Rick Barnes' programs. Uh, and then lastly, I think you're right. That just kind of leads you to a position where we already know how you know how easy it is to, to get into the, the transfer portal this year and you know, how frequent that can already be. And I, I think you're right. I think that could potentially be an option just for Tennessee to say, hey, look, we need to put our one, we need our one spot back. We're going to, we're going to need to send somebody to the transfer portal. Cause I think what you're talking about is your four additions this year. And I say four additions, your three additions and one returning. You're right. That's connect, uh, Ledlam, Ganey and Vescovy. So really interesting kind of numbers game here happening with Tennessee. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you look at it with the three, Guys that declared for the draft but still have eligibility. It's like Plasic. You know, we've all watched Rose Plasic play. I can't imagine Tennessee is going to bring him back and have to run somebody else off when they're already yeah. over the limit. <laughs> and Julian Phillips and Josiah Jordan James, both good players. Look at what Tennessee's done in the transfer portal. They've added two wings. Chris Ledlam, the guy that can play on the wing, yeah. can play the four. That's what Josiah Jordan James did. And Dalton Connect, a long, rangy uh, athlete, you know, pretty similar to what Julian Phillips brings, or at least. A lot more shooting. The skill sets aren't direct, but they're both small forwards, and they play the same position. Tennessee, if either of those guys were to come back, Tennessee would be overloaded with players at those positions. How tall is Connect? 6'6"? Six, 6'6". Six? Six, six. They're both 6'6". Six, six, but but uh, Ledlam plays bigger. Ledlam, yeah, Ledlam played power forward at, right. at Harvard. Now, yeah. he had he shot 131 threes last year. He played on the perimeter a little bit. Um, so, to me, Ledlam's the fascinating one of how he fits in at okay. Tennessee because... He's a really talented guy. He's a good athlete. He was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. Obviously, you don't typically think about that when you're talking about a guy who's transferring from Harvard. Um, but he is a six-six big man, and you know, not a whole lot of really effective six-six big men in the SEC. Now, he has a skill set to play on the wing some, but 
Tennessee brought in Dalton Connect too, so and another guy that does that. So to me, he's the fascinating one uh, of just how he fits in Tennessee's offense uh, and Tennessee's scheme and, and what exactly that looks like. So let me ask you this, and this can be for the table as well, but let me play a little bit of a hypothetical situation, right? I'm going to be one of our listeners. Okay. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm working out. I'm I'm, on the, I'm doing something, right? Washing but I'm listening. I'm washing my car, but I'm listening to this show right here, right? I, I'm hearing all the information that you're saying. I don't necessarily know these names, though. I, I know some of the ones that were leaving. How should I feel just in, in regards to how this offseason has been going so far? Is this a, is a situation where you're like, well... You know, I, I can be really optimistic about this team because they did bring in the right players that they needed to, or at least maybe the right positions. Do you feel maybe a little bit less optimistic than that and saying, hey, well, they brought in good pieces. It's still going to be a little bit of a challenge. I mean, even if you go back to what Joe Lenardi released on, what was that, Tuesday? Joe Lenardi's way too early <laughs> rankings, and I really put the emphasis on way here, has Tennessee as a two seed next year. So that is an improvement from the four seed that they already have. Just kind of what's your feel right now on how successful or how, uh, I don't want to say beneficial, I, I don't think that's how the right good. word, but yeah, just how good, good has this offseason been for Tennessee? That's a good question, and I'm going to try my hardest not to ramble because I have no, okay. kind of different thoughts it, it's, on it. It's all you. To me, they, Tennessee did not add any of the superstars in the okay. portal. The top, top names. Kirk Creasa went to West Virginia. Caleb Love to Michigan. Hunter Dickinson still in the portal. The Nimhart kid at Creighton is going to Gonzaga like his brother did. They didn't land uh, just a top flight guy, a stud. And I think there's a fair hesitance with any any Rick Barnes transfer. I mean, the, you look at the track record of transfers he's brought to Tennessee, and it, of course he hasn't been trying to build a roster. They haven't added... If my recollection starts, they haven't even added two in the offseason, let alone three like they have this year. But not a ton of success with the guys they've added. So sure. to me, there's a little bit of hesitance with Barnes transfers. But at the same time, Chris Ledlam and Dolphin Connect are the two guys they targeted from basically day one. I believe it was Mike Wilson who had to report that Chris, uh, that Tennessee assistant coach Rod Clark was in Boston visiting Chris Ledlam the day after Tennessee lost in the Sweet 16 uh, to uh, Florida Atlantic. So right. these are two guys that Tennessee targeted really hard. Chris Ludlam is a guy that St. John's with Rick Pitino and Indiana, Mike Woodson, went extremely hard And this after. is a guy who's a Brooklyn native, too. I yeah. mean, that would have been something just for him to be able to play at St. John's right, right yes. where he grew up from. Yeah, that's a great point. And Dalton Connect is pretty consensus, like, top 20 guy in the transfer portal, if you look at these rankings. And yeah. they, they vary a lot, but he is a very highly thought, thought of guy. Uh, I know North Carolina was pursuing him. I know Indiana was pursuing him. Oregon was the only other school that he visited, so that's kind of the one you kind of directly tie uh, it to. And, again, it's of course these guys scored because they played at lower levels, but Dalton Connect especially has he shot, like Santiago Vescovi, about seven threes a game. Like Santiago Vescovi, hit him at about a 38% clip. I don't know how much of that scoring that he did getting to the basket, getting to the mid-range will carry over uh, to the SEC, but he's a talented scorer. So I think Tennessee addressed some of their concerns. They got good pieces. How exactly those pieces fit uh, and how comfortable uh, do they feel at Tennessee, I think is a question. But those were the top guys that Tennessee targeted, and they landed them and in a pretty short amount of time. So to me, it's a very impressive what Tennessee did. It's, okay. a, it's a very positive offseason. That doesn't mean it's all going to click and it's all going to be fantastic and all gung-ho when the season starts. But I like what they did. They've done this all. So to kind of wrap it up in, in thesis or in summary, even despite not landing one of the blue chip transfer portal players, if you will, 
Tennessee still did a really good job of getting the pieces that they needed to for the specific turnover that they felt like they were going to have this offseason. Exactly. Okay. It seems like when they entered the offseason, they knew what they wanted, they sure. got what they wanted, sure. and that's it. So if you trust the process, it's yeah. a good offseason. That's a great That's a great way to put it, Jack. Yeah. They, it, it went for in, them. Yeah, from Tennessee's standpoint, yeah. I, I don't think they thought it could have it gone much better. Fascinating. Now, we'll see how, again, we'll see how everything meshes. We'll see how that roster looks. And I believe... Uh, 247's like transfer portal rankings. I believe Tennessee was like 13, 14 last I saw. So, and it didn't go this way last season because you had the Texas guy and just some things didn't go through from Tennessee. Yeah, there were some guys that they missed on that they were yeah. they were going after. Uh, the, yeah, Tyrese Hunter who ended up at, at Texas, Brandon Murray who ended oh, yeah. up in Georgetown and is now at Ole Miss, uh, back in the portal after a year of Patrick Ewing getting fired. So they missed out on some guys last year. Um, I mean, those were top guys in the portal for, you know, in fairness, but uh, it took some time. It obviously didn't come immediately, but Tennessee kind of, like we said, they struck on the guys that they wanted, and last week was just boom, 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 and the roster, again, it's not completely settled, but I don't think they're going to add anybody else. Lenardi wrote in his article yesterday for ESPN, quote, it's a good thing that there are still scholarship limits in college basketball. Otherwise, there's no telling how many players teams like Alabama, Arkansas, and Tennessee would sign from the transfer portal. No set of conference rivals have hit the port have hit the portal harder than these three SEC teams, which now rank fifth, sixth, and eighth overall in our new seating list. Throw in Texas A&M at number sixteen overall, and that's four SEC teams on the top four lines of the latest bracket. Going back to what I said a second ago about the way too early rankings, Lenardi does have Tennessee as the two in the East. He's got Arkansas as the two in the Midwest, and Alabama as the two in the South. So certainly there's going to be increased competition across SEC basketball this year. Heck, that's something that we talked about just a couple months ago as this last season was wrapping up. We know that there's going to be improved competition. We know that these teams are getting more and more familiar with each other and with other teams in the SEC. And even some of the bottom-feeding teams are starting to find a new coach or maybe finding their stride as they're as they're trying to rebound a little bit through uh, this offseason, next season as well. So a lot of interesting things going on in the SEC basketball world right now, and we're like what a month into the off season at most. Yeah, and I don't I don't know exactly when that Lenardi thing came out, but Alabama has lost a transfer since then. Uh, one of the guys they were bringing in from Wichita State got arrested for marijuana and gun possession, and wow, uh, he got kicked off the team. So. Wow, one less guy coming into Alabama, <laughs> but still a lot of uh, transfer movement in, in the SEC. One less guy, that is true. Jaquan Walton. He, he they said nope. They said, we're not doing this again, buddy. They said, we already got upstaged by Nick Saban once, and ain't going to happen again. That's mm. right. Man. I, yeah, nah, I'll refrain. <laughs> Crazy situation that was. Any other last-minute thoughts on anything anything, anything, anything Tennessee basketball related? No. Um, no. But, funny thing. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, what? Uh, nah. nah. But, anyway. Very quick. Um, Friday night after Tennessee walked off against Vanderbilt and won, uh-huh. my buddy texted me and he said, Dalton Connect committing to Tennessee basketball saved Tennessee baseball season. Because <laughs> it happened during the game. It did happen during the game. <laughs> That's they have, an interesting they theory. Have big, Dalton to, big Dalton to thank for him. And it's yeah. Connect, right? Connect, like yes. Connect 4. Yes. Tennessee basketball tweeted out that gif. And, yeah. and I at first, like I just did not – put any of the pieces together like, like, what? what are they doing it was, it was funny like it was two weeks ago maybe when it was just connect was about to come on a Tennessee visit and i was going on a podcast and i knew we we're going to talk about it and 
I'd remembered I'd watched, you know, his highlights the day before, and I remembered, okay, his name's not pronounced how, you know, how it looks. And so I went and watched the video again right before I did the podcast yeah. to remind myself, and by the time we got to it in the podcast, I'd already forgotten. Like, oh, man. What did you say? Or what did you originally say? Did you say? leave the case silent? I didn't even know. I said, I said, because the per, it was Chase Thomas' podcast, I'll go and plug it. Jack and I have both been on there before. He asked me, he's like, how do you pronounce it? Is it, is it necked? And I go, I know it is not necked. It is, pronounced, it is pronounced a little bit different. But I also do not know how to pronounce it. So I'm just, I just, know we, what it is. We just called him Dalton. But it's not necked. Yeah, I was like, I, was like, I know it is not how it looks. But it's, I don't remember what it actually is. It's just the whole Nico situation of people are like, well, I know his name is long and complicated, so I'm just going to call him Nico. It's like, <laughs> yeah, okay, right. well, that, that works. <laughs> that works for the, for the majority for the of the fan base, being, yes. Yeah, exactly. There's no doubt about that. Uh, real quick, I, I'm just going to throw this on you guys as we have a, a couple more minutes just left in the podcast. Uh, a quick shout-out, uh, something that I, I found very cool and fascinating over the weekend was uh, Monica Abbott's return yeah. to Rocky Top. Uh what a legend, right, yeah. in her sport. I mean, we can talk about legendary players who have, who have walked through the campus of the University of Tennessee, but softball does not get mentioned very, very often. It's not a, you know, especially on the professional level, it's not a big sport. And in a lot of cases, you do have to go overseas. Heck, Monica Abbott is a, I believe, six-time uh, Japan Softball League world champion, right? So there is a, there's a lot of fascinating things to her game, but they brought her back into Rocky Top over the weekend. She announced her retirement back in February, so they had to throw the first pitch. For Tennessee uh, Vanderbilt baseball on Friday, then she did again for Tennessee Florida softball game on Monday. Uh, just a, a really cool little retirement uh, celebration. And it seems like you know, even though that's not necessarily a name that people are pulling out from their memory bank for you know just on a random occasion a lot, you can certainly tell that when that name hits Twitter or, or when it hits Facebook or when there's a new article that we post about her or a new video, these are you know she is absolutely a person that people gravitate towards and they want to know what what is just new with Monica Abbott. So. It's cool to see her back on Rocky Top this weekend and uh, certainly got a lot of uh, good use <laughs> out of her uh, being in town as well with the baseball and softball teams. Yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. And this is complete speculation, but the fact that she threw out the first pitch on a Friday and then on the Monday game of a Saturday-Sunday Monday series for the softball program, it's like she was in Knoxville for a long time and I'm sure yes. was celebrated all weekend as she should be. And Yeah, I can remember uh, being young and watching those Monica Abbott Tennessee teams make it to Oklahoma City and the Women's College World Series, and I remember when softball came back in, in the Olympics two years ago, Monica Abbott was That's the right. ace for the USA team. Who, That's uh, right. I do believe actually lost to Japan uh, in the championship. But Correct. in the World Games the next year in Birmingham, Alabama, U.S. got the revenge mm. at the Hoover Mets. Wow, good uh, good memory. <laughs> where, where did you pull that from? Well, the World Games is basically this event that happens, I think, every four years, and there's a lot of minor sports that aren't in the Olympics. Okay. Um, and it's in Birmingham, which is where my, my brother and his family lives. And so they had volunteered for a bunch of it. My sister-in-law was actually a volunteer. She was actually, like security is probably not the right word, but the Alabama softball coach was at the game and her job was to stand by the Alabama softball wow. coach and not let people come take pictures with them. Okay. Uh, or maybe her. I don't remember who. Yeah. I don't know who the Alabama softball coach is. Um, but basically, when the softball got cut from the Olympics, it went to the World Games. Okay. And so this was the last, last year was the last ever World Games where softball was going to be in because now softball's back in the Olympics. They don't need it in the World Games. But wow, that's fun. It was back-to-back years that they played. The U.S. and Japan played in the championship. That's and interesting. The U.S. lost in the Olympics, the more important one, but they, they got it back in the World Games at the old 
Historic Hoover Met. <laughs> Michael to, Jordan played baseball. Yeah, listen to this resume. Two-time Olympic silver medalist, a three-time world champion, a five-time national pro fast, but, uh, fast pitch champion, and a six-time Japan softball league champion. She was also named the softball collegiate player of the year in 2007 with the Lady Vols. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad at all. Any other wrap-up thoughts on the day from you guys? That's all I got. Okay. That's it for me. New pancakes and bacon out. That's right. New pancakes and bacon with our good friends, VFL Kyler Kerbison and Reed Bacon. Man, they have been putting together some tremendous content since joining up with the Rocky Top Insider team. Of course, you can go and check them out on a bunch of different locations. They have their full video podcast on YouTube. And man, it is good. Today's episode, Wednesday's episode, if you will, they're talking all about their thoughts and their reactions from Tennessee spring camp as a whole. Kind of what we did last week, but you might get a little bit of new information and insight on it, especially coming from a former player. You can also find their podcast over at Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Amazon Podcasts as well. But again, man, we, we are just so happy to have those guys with the team. It's been so much fun to have them around the last month or so, and, and we're excited to continue figuring out what we can create together. Speaking of social media platforms... Well, of course, you can go and check out Rocky Top Insider on each and every single one of them. We are at Rocky Top Insider on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Wherever you are, we are there as well, posting daily Tennessee news notes and content to those sites every single day as we're trying to keep you updated the best way possible. You can follow Ryan Shumper. You can do that on Twitter at rshump00. That's S-C-H-U-M-P. If you want to follow Jack Foster on Twitter... You can do that at Jack Foster Media. If you want to follow myself, Rick Butler, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler. No K, just like the nature boy himself. Gentlemen, I think that's going to wrap it up for us today. Pretty uh, pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Oh, yeah. Can I tell you one thing real quick? Sure. I didn't have, uh, I didn't have my allergy concerns today. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. know if you've been able to pick up on that. It's because I've had some steroids. Roided up over I'm going feel, 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 feel this. Feel, feel this. Pretty Yidge. good. It's pretty good. Felt my bicep right there. It's because my steroids are working. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna head out to Planet Fitness, maybe Gold's Gym, maybe just go to both of those back to back. Either way, the steroids are, are working for my allergies at All least. Night long. All night long. That is it right there, gentlemen. Let's go ahead and wrap it up. Let's go ahead and get out of here before uh, we go off the rails anymore. Hey, thanks for, so much for listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to tell a friend. We love to continue sharing the show. We love to continue sharing everything we're doing over at RockyTopInsider.com for you, the wonderful people out there that we are so excited to do this for. Otherwise, for Jack Foster, for Ryan Shumpert, I'm Rick Butler. You've been listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. We will see you back next week.